0: What does motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast. Making the Bible come to life. Moses was hammering quickly, he was hammering bronze, he was fashioning it into something long and in some ways scary looking? It's, it's, it's a snake. Now the Hebrew word for snake in the book of Numbers is nakash, and it means shining, And the word for bronze is also related to that word nakash, And so the Hebrew for bronze snake that you see in the book of Numbers chapter 21, it's an interesting wordplay between these words, shining bronze, shining snake. Well, Moses, he was hammering this shining bronze, creating a beautiful bronze snake. But he had to act quickly because you see the people were dying before him. I mean, you could probably hear the screams of pain all around because of the burning sensation and the terrible pain that the people felt caused by the bites from these thousands of venomous snakes that were all over the camp. And these snakes were biting only one thing, the people of Israel. And thousands were dying in burning, excruciating pain from the snake bites and he had to make this bronze snake fast because it was the only way to help the people live. What? You're going to live from a bronze snake? How is that going to help people live? Has Moses lost his mind? We'll see, earlier... Moses. His sister Miriam had just died, and his brother Aaron had just died. In fact, Aaron had to go to the top of Mount Hor, if you remember, right? And he died at the age of 123. And him and Moses weren't allowed into the promised land because of the sin they had committed at Meribah by striking the rock. Well, Aaron died at the top of Mount Hor at the age of 123, passed the priesthood on to his son Eleazar, Well, after they grieved and mourned for Aaron, Moses wanted to lead the people north into the promised land. This was it. They were back after wandering for 40 years. They were back and they wanted to get into the promised land. And so the easiest route was called the King's Highway, which would have been a direct route right into the promised land. Now, remember, by this time, the people of Israel are two million plus. So this isn't like a small band of Israelites who wanted to lead into the land. No, two million plus people. So when Moses said he wanted to lead his people along the king's highway, well, guess what? To do that, you've got to go through other people's land, other tribal territories and when other tribal kings thought of hearing and listening and letting these and when other tribal king and when other tribal kings thought about allowing 2 million people through their land and for some of those kings of other tribes you know that thought was frightening and expensive Can you imagine two million people walking through your land? Two million people needing water. Two million people needing food. Two million people trampling through everything. Well, the first land they had to go through, the first country they had to go through on this king's highway, it was the country, the kingdom of Edom. Well, the king of Edom said no. Now Moses requested to the king of Edom that, hey, if you let us through, I'll, I'll come back and, and and we'll pay. We'll pay for any food we eat and we'll pay for any water our cattle drink or we'll, we'll, we'll pay for it all. But the king of Edom said, no way. And in fact, he came out with a huge army to literally say, no, turn back. You cannot come this way. And so it should have been a short route straight north of the <coughs> and so it should have been a short route straight north into the promised land now the people of israel they had to turn around and head south and southeast away from the very place they wanted to go And so guess what they began to wander again and wander and wander I mean, they were wandering all over again, and they ended up heading back to the Red Sea area and the Gulf of Aquaba area. And and then they began to head east away from Edom to get around Edom. They had to go way out of their way to avoid Edom. Now, remember, Moses had requested the king of Edom. Can we come through, please? We'll pay. We'll pay. And Moses had also hoped that the family connections would have made a difference. See, the people of Israel traced their lineage back to Jacob. Well, Jacob, his brother's name was Esau, and Esau was the founder of the nation of Edom. And so Israel and Edom had family connections. And so Moses was hoping their family connections would have made them friendly to the request. But no, they weren't. And here they are wandering and wandering, and they're back wandering in the desert, and the people are not happy. Now, Moses had a plan right? He was led by God, and God, I'm sure, had a plan to go around Edom, head north, and eventually end up in the plains of Moab, across way from the city of Jericho, which was their first entrance into the promised land. They had a plan, but to the people of Israel, it felt like wandering again, a wandering they'd just spent 40 years doing, and now they did not want to go back to this. They didn't want to go back to wandering. And so as they followed Moses through the desert, the people began to get tired and hot and then the people became impatient because of the journey. That's what the Bible says. They became impatient and then that impatience led to frustration and then to anger. And then that anger became focused on Moses And then, can you believe it? They got angry at God. You know, I imagine they came to Moses and they began to complain about the heat and the walking and the walking. Oh, and did we say we walked and we walked, we walked? All we do is walk, Moses. And then there was the food. They were tired of 40 years of manna. The food God had miraculously provided for the people while they wandered every day, but now they're sick of it. And they're not afraid to tell Moses how they felt. It says in the Bible that they said, Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Numbers 21, verse 5. There it was. They were sick of eating manna. Sick of fried manna. Boiled manna. Manna donuts. Manna bread. Manna banana bread. Manna manna raisin bread. manna, 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 manna. Now, there's a part of me that understands how the people feel. I mean, they'd spend the last 40 years eating this stuff. I get it. But the problem is the lack of faith behind their words. Words like detest and wretched food. How dare they challenge God to this extent? How dare they blaspheme God by accusing him of making something wretched and detestable? They detested the provision of God? This wasn't frustration. This was outright rebellion rebellion against the will of god you know i think we've all been there we grow frustrated with the will of the lord in our lives we want to see the lord move maybe maybe the salvation of a family member or you want to see god move in an illness or a physical difficulty you've been struggling with and we ask god to change our circumstances maybe you've been looking for a job for a long time And you just want to see a difference in your life, to change the way your life is headed, and you've been praying and praying and praying and praying, but God seems silent and does not answer, sometimes for years. And so you can grow frustrated, right? You can grow angry, and it is in those moments when the Lord wants to hear our concerns, our cries of frustration. The book of Psalms is full of psalms where David shares his heart of frustration, his fears, his concerns. But the key is, those psalms, they never fell into faithless complaining. They never doubted the goodness of God, and they never doubted the beauty of God, and they never ultimately said, I'm going to be disloyal to you, God, and I'm going to pursue another God because I'm sick of following you. No, it never fell to that. They never doubted the goodness of God. Ultimately, they never blamed him for evil, but instead they trusted in him. But that's not what's happening here. The people are rebelling, It's faithless complaining. And so God judged the people. And he judged them by sending poisonous snakes amongst them. You know, I imagine a family is eating in their tent, you know, and underneath the carpet comes under the tent, and underneath a rug or something like that in slithers a snake. And then another sn- slithers in from the other side. And, and then maybe one drops down from the ceiling, having wiggled its way in, bloop, and falls right into the hummus. The tent is now overrun with slithering, nasty, scary snakes. And then they bite. I imagine they bit the mother on her ankle. Or they crawled up the leg of the family's son and bit him on the thigh. And then, ah! The son screams in pain. The mother faints to the floor from the pain of being bit because of the burning sensation from the bite. See, the Hebrew word for poisonous snake, it can also be translated burning. So later in recounting this incident, Moses refers to their plague of fiery snakes that the people had to deal with. You know, this burning must have made their leg or their arm or their whole body feel like it was on fire or their foot or their ankle was intensely burning and then that led to excruciating pain, which then led to death. The Bible doesn't say exactly how many died, but it must have been a lot. Person after person, family member after family member, they're dying before people's eyes. And so the people ran to Moses for help. The very man they were blaming five seconds ago is now the first person they turned to for help. And so Moses, as he's always done in the past, turned to Yahweh. He turned to Yahweh for help. Now, I think he must have rushed to the tent of meeting because he needed help right away. And he needed he needed direction from God as to what does God want him to do? Did God want Moses to move the people? All right, everybody, let's pick up our tents and run. That's what I would have done. You know, or did did God want Moses to try to kill the thousands of snakes? And so Moses, as he always had in the past, turned to Yahweh for help. You know, he must have rushed to the tent of meeting because he needed help. He needed direction as to what did God want him to do? Did God want him to move the people? No, that's what I would have done. Or did God want Moses to try to kill the thousands of snakes that were descending upon the people? Well, God didn't want him to do any of those things. Instead, God gave him another answer. Make an image of a snake, put it on a pole, and raise it high above the people. Then call all of Israel to look at the snake. And if they look at the snake, they will be healed. So Moses left the tent of meeting and he obeyed. It's an odd way to save to me, but he just obeyed God. He knew that was the right thing to do. So Moses gets up and he leaves the tent of meeting and he runs to wherever the craftsmen were. And he's probably sidestepping over snakes as they're jumping at him all along the way. And maybe, sadly, he's even stepping over some dead bodies. I don't know, but he gets to the area where they kept the metal, where the blacksmith fashioned the swords for battle. And there... He found some bronze, and he began to fashion a bronze snake. Remember that Hebrew word, that shining snake, the bronze bronze, the bronze snake. He made a bronze snake. Now, I wonder, how much of a craftsman was Moses? Was he really good with metal and forging? Had he worked with bronze before? You know, I have no clue. All I know is that Moses fashioned the snake out of bronze, or he got someone else to fashion a snake out of bronze for him. You know, I imagine it was probably a long snake that maybe wrapped around itself, or, or it looked like it wrapped around the pole that it was supposed to be on. I wonder if it looked like that, or maybe it just looked like a long snake, you know, like a long, wavy pole. I, I wonder how much work Moses spent trying to make it, look beautiful did he fashion it into some beautiful work of art or did he simply make a long wavy pole thing out of bronze because he had to get it up in the air fast (laughs) i mean i think he made it fast but i think he also made it beautiful because later this snake this bronze image Sadly, it becomes an idol to the Jews, and the Jews would come and begin to worship it. It's during the time of King Hezekiah. We're talking hundreds of years later. They end up turning this bronze snake into an idol. And I don't think if it was ugly, anyone would come want to come and worship it. But hey, that's another story. And by the way, that story is told in the Baldhead Bible archives. So go check it out. Well, Moses makes this bronze snake, and then he puts it on a pole, and then he announces to all of Israel, if you get bit by a snake, come look at this snake at the top of the pole, and you will live, thus says the Lord. And I imagine after saying that, he slams the pole into the ground, and there above his head... 10 to 12 to 15 feet high in the air is this bronze image of a snake and the people they heard the message of moses the people who are still alive they they heard those words and and i and imagine they the, the ones who were bit came running to the pole And I can imagine one of them had a burning sensation running up his leg from the bite. And if he did nothing, the snake bite would kill him. But if he trusted in Yahweh, if he trusted that the Lord had a plan, and if he trusted that what the Lord said was true, if he trusted in God, he would be saved from certain death. He could live. And so he hobbles over there and then he looks up. And he looks upon the image of the snake, the bronze snake. And then the burning sensation begins to leave. His health had been restored. This person who had been bit from the snake had been saved from a certain death, all by looking at a snake raised on a pole. Moses stopped the carnage. Moses stopped the death that was running through the camp. Sadly for some, the snake had not been built in time, and they had died before they had a chance to look at the bronze serpent and live. Others, though, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I do believe there were some, I bet, who simply refused to obey. Instead, when they were offered the pole, all they did was look away or down at the ground. They chose not to look. They also chose not to be saved. Years later, Jesus would reference this very event. Years later, Jesus would point to this incident as a prefiguring of what was about to happen on the cross. Years later, Jesus would point to this incident as a metaphor, as a symbol of what was about to happen on the cross. See, Jesus was talking to a man, a leader of the people of Israel. His name was Nicodemus. And I imagine it was a cool evening and they were sitting out probably in the dark so that his neighbors or anyone else spying on them could not see who he was. And who is Nicodemus talking to? I can't really see because he didn't want people to know he's a leader of the Jews and you can't talk to Jesus, but he wanted to hear the words of Jesus. And so he meets with him by night and Jesus there explains the gospel to Nicodemus. He explained how salvation was going to go through him, Jesus, he explained the suffering he was about to endure. And then at one point he says this in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus directly linked what was about to happen to him on the cross with the story from Numbers. Nicodemus would have been familiar with this story, and so Jesus used it as a way to explain the gospel to Nicodemus. To be saved, the people had to look at the serpent to live. So it's the same here. Jesus says, I must be lifted in the air just like the bronze serpent, just like the bronze serpent, and I will be placed on a pole, which in my case is a cross. And if anyone chooses to follow me, if anyone chooses to put their faith in me, they will live. And I think that must have been a powerful story by Jesus. I, I, that, that was a powerful story Jesus used to explain what happens when you get saved. You know, I think this this visual story from the Old Testament, it, it must have been a powerful picture of the gospel. You know, I think the story, this, this visual from the Old Testament is a powerful picture of the gospel. You are dying. And maybe you're practically spiritually dead. You've heard the gospel over and over and over again. You know, you've been bit many times. You look up and you see the serpent on the pole. You trust in Yahweh and you recommit to following him. And then the poison and the sickness leaves and you are saved. And it's the same here. You know, you are dying. Many of you are headed to hell and separation from God forever. You've heard the salvation story over and over again, but you put it off, you put it off, you put it off. And you are spiritually headed to separation from God forever. But if you look up, if you look up and see Jesus on the cross, if you look up and see Jesus and believe in him and put your faith and trust in him, not yourself, not your good works, not your ability. If you say that Jesus says, put your faith and trust in me, I died on the cross for you. If you believe that Jesus is God, if you put your faith and trust in him, you will live. You know, in Moses' day, I can't believe anyone walked away from that offer, that chance to live. They were told to look to the bronze serpent and you will live. Do you think some chose to walk away? Do you think some chose not to look up and live, I wonder. I hope not, because their one chance for life was that bronze serpent on a pole. And I hope no one walks away from the salvation Jesus offers. I hope we all look up and see Jesus on the cross and realize the sin he bore, the punishment he endured in my place so that I and you, so that we all could have eternal life, to be with him forever. And then I hope we also remember that three days later, Jesus proved he was God by rising again from death, by by rising again to life, right? He resurrected three days later. He defeated death and later ascended to heaven and is with the father. And he will one day return and judge this country, this nation, this state, this world, all of planet earth. He will judge us and he will rule and reign forever as king. Will you be ready? Have you looked up? Have you seen Jesus lifted high? Have you decided to live? I hope you choose to look up and live today. I hope no one walks away from this salvation Jesus offers. I hope we all look up and see Jesus on the cross and realize the sin he bore, the punishment he endured so we could live. And then I hope you remember that three days later, Jesus rose again. He defeated death and later ascended to heaven and is with the Father. And he will one day return and judge this world and all of the world's people and past, present. And he will be our judge and our king forever. Will you be ready? Have you looked up? Have you seen Jesus lifted up? Have you seen Jesus lifted high? Have you decided to live Hope you choose to look up and live today. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldhead bible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.